My name is Levi. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace, and we are making our way through Psalm 23. Last week, we just, we just looked at a few words. The, the Lord is my shepherd, and we began to ask ourselves the question, who or what is shepherding me, and how is that working? And then, uh, I shall not want, or I have all I need. We talked about being able to find contentment, to find uh, our identity, our satisfaction, the totality of who we are uh, in this shepherd, or, or whatever shepherd is leading us, and how do we like the, the, the ways and the places that we're being led. And so last week, it took me about 30 minutes to say all of that, and uh, I think I just did that in about 45 seconds. But we're going we're gonna to keep moving on. Today is a communion Sunday, and, and these words are really just um, an opening act for uh, a table that we will gather around at the end. It's a, it's a table that's a great equalizer. It's for uh, the rich, the poor, the good, the bad, the healthy, the broken. And so these words, this time that we share right here is really, it's just the opening act for this sacred meal that we're going to get to share together at the end today. Today, I want us to begin looking um, just at three lines. And the first is this, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Uh, it's so interesting as as an American, as a, a guy who's grown up in the Western uh, hemisphere, I'm, I'm just, uh, I think green pastures. I think uh, the grass is greener on the other side. But the interesting thing is, if you were to take a picture of uh, where these shepherds, where this would have been written, you, you would remember that there really aren't any green pastures, right? I mean, it's, it's arid, uh, it's mountainous, it's, it's desert. And so there are not naturally occurring green pastures anywhere over there. And so if you were to, in fact, come across a green pasture that's up on the side of a mountain in the desert, you'd have to realize that a shepherd had gone and done a tremendous amount of work. They would have gone in and they would have cleared out all of the rocks. They would have cultivated the land. They would have added nutrients to the land before they planted grass to make it green. You don't just by happenstance come across green pastures in the desert, right? It's a, it's a result of somebody doing a, a tremendous amount of work. But we, we love our, our green pastures, we love it. We love to look over the fence because we think the grass is going to be greener over there, right? How many of you have ever thought that the grass was greener uh, on the other side, and when you got over there, you realized all they had done is spray paint the grass? Anybody? <laughs> like, it was no greener. That grass was no healthier. That job was no better. It just looked like it from your vantage point. It's smoke and mirrors a lot of the time, right? The grass isn't always greener on the other side. But we love to focus on the green pastures. And I think sometimes if we aren't careful, we do this. We're naturally drawn to this part of the verse that says, ooh, the green pastures. Boy, if God is leading me, I'm going to just be eating lush, full meal. You know, like I'm thinking like gator dockside, Monday night, all you can eat wings, right? Like that's a green pasture to me. You're like, hey, buddy, you may want to lay off those wings. I know it. I know it, right? But man, greener pastures. But I think sometimes if we aren't careful, we overlook the first part of this. It says, he makes me to lie down 
in green pastures. One of the things that I like to do when I'm teaching uh, in the Old Testament is to go and find uh, a rabbi that has taught on the same passage. Because a lot of these guys, they don't, they don't read these passages in English and then go backwards to the Hebrew. They know them by heart in the Hebrew, and then they begin to translate them into their mind into English. And what comes out sometimes is amazing. I was listening to this guy teach this week, and well, I was actually a couple of weeks ago, and he said, you know, this idea of he makes me to lie down, it doesn't really, it doesn't really get at that word. He said it's more like to sprawl out, right? To sprawl out. When was the last time you ever saw a sheep like sprawled out, right? Uh, some of you are dog people and you have dogs and when and dogs are in a, a comfortable position, they've got a full belly, uh, they, just, they just sprawl out, right? All decency aside, they're just, they're just hanging out there upside down, like on their back, right? I mean, can you imagine? Think of the, the pictures that you have seen of, of sheep with their shepherd, the sheep in a field. They're usually standing, right? It's really uncommon actually to see a, a giant herd of sheep all laying down because they don't naturally lay down. There, have, there has to be a lot of care taken. There has to be a lot of stuff going on for them to be able to lie down. There's four things that must happen for a sheep to be able to physically lie down. The first is this. They have to be free of all fear. We talked last week about how sheep are very, they're skittish. They're, they're afraid of everything. How uh, a rabbit jumping out from behind a bush can send 200 sheep just trampling across a field. And so sheep, they have got to be free of all fear in their environment. They have to know that they are safe from all predators. The second is this. They have to be free of all friction within the flock. We would say this would be free of relational friction, right? Elbows to yourselves, all right? Free of all relational friction. We talked last week about how there's a hierarchy within uh, each herd of sheep and how if one of the younger, weaker lambs is in a place that one of the stronger sheep want to be, they just ram them and basically say, this is my spot. I want to stand here and get out of here, right? But there has to be there has to be this, this freedom from relational tension within a flock for sheep, an individual sheep, to be able to lay down. The third is this. They have to be free of all pests. Like, they have this thick, uh, heavy coat uh, of wool. And, and the bugs and the stuff that get in there and can just drive them crazy. I, I was unaware of the fleas that, that we have here in North Central Florida. Can I get an amen if the fleas, do they all just live in my yard? It is unbelievable. Like we are clean people. We clean our house. We bathe our dogs. We take them to the groomer and they bathe our dogs. And I, I'm, I could not believe it. We moved, we moved here and like I flipped my dog upside down one day and I was like, Ugh. I mean, it was like, I was embarrassed. I didn't want anybody to see it. You know, I'm like spraying them with the hose and it doesn't do any good except for $40 a month. There is a magic pill. Have you guys discovered this magic pill? And then you multiply it by how many dogs you have and you're like, which dog am I getting rid of? Cause I can't afford the magic pill for all of them. <laughs> right? No, some of you, you love your dogs more than I do. Uh, <laughs> like, 
40 bucks. Come on. But you got to free of all pests. The sheep have to be free of all pests. And then the last one is this. They have to be free from hunger. They, they, have to be, they have to be satisfied nutritionally. They have to be free from hunger. And so how that would translate to us would be we need to be free of our, our desires, of a lack of contentment, of always wanting uh, more and bigger and better and acute, this, this idea of we, we hunger for things. And we, we addressed that a little bit last week about is, is Jesus, is the good shepherd, is, is he alone enough for me? And so can we be free of the hunger? And, and here's the crazy part of all of this. The sheep can do none of this stuff, none of it for themselves. They're naturally fearful. They're, there's friction within the flock unless the shepherd comes in and, and handles that. The shepherd has got to take care of the pests. And the shepherd is the one that leads them to the, to the food and to the water. These sheep can do none of it for themselves. Second Timothy says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound, disciplined mind. Uh, Keller, he's the guy that wrote a book that, uh, called the, the Shepherd's Guide to a 23rd Psalm. And I'm leaning on it heavily in this series. He tells the story of a, a summer when he had a, a flock of sheep. He was a shepherd. There were, there were uh, dogs that were kind of ravaging different herds of the sheep. And they would come in at night and you could, you could hear it going on out there. And then there were also what he calls rustlers, right? And they were basically thieves. They would come in the night and they would steal some sheep. And they would take them off to a ranch uh, far away. And then they were gone. And he said that summer he learned that he had to sleep lightly, he couldn't be a sound sleeper, right? Any of you that have had uh, kids anywhere along the way and you, you're like, oh man, I used to sleep like a freight train. Well, all that comes to a screeching halt or it did in, in my house. It was amazing. I used to have a train right outside my window, right outside. And nobody told me about that when I took that place. So there was train track hidden back there. I got to where I could sleep right through that. But then kids came along. Kids came along and like a little, man, I'm awake, you know? I'm like, what, what, what's wrong, what's wrong? You know, it's like first time dad, you know? <laughs> Nothing going on. And babies doing what babies do, they cry. But this, this shepherd, Philip Keller, he realized that he, he couldn't be a, a, a heavy sleeper. And so he slept with a, a gun next to his bed and he would make his way out into the fields and he would fire off a shot and, and any would-be thieves or dogs they headed for the hills. And he said it wasn't long before he developed a reputation in town as being a shepherd that you didn't want to mess with, right? He was there to protect his sheep. And he said he learned that the shepherd's presence makes all the difference in the sheep's ability to lie down and to be at peace. He said he got to the point that summer where he would go out into the fields at night when, when sheep are the, the most afraid and he would find that his sheep were lying down because these needs had been taken care of. He leads me beside quiet waters. Ah, quiet waters. Say that with me on the count of three. Ah, quiet waters. One, two, three. Ah, quiet waters. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. I started reading this week trying to figure out like about these quiet waters. And so he, he leads me beside quiet waters. And so as I began to read and, and talk with others, I had one, uh, I had someone come to me last week and say, ah, you know, I heard this devotion and it was that, um, that 
he leads us beside the quiet waters because the still waters are, are the water that, that uh, isn't running and it has parasites and it has stuff in it. And so he leads us past that water to the good water, right? And I was like, oh, that, that, sound, that sounds good. But then I was reading another commentator and that commentator said that the quiet water could actually be the dew in the morning, in that, that there can be so much dew that the, the sheep can actually survive for weeks on end by just grazing on, on grass that has dew on it in the morning. And I'm like, well, that's some quiet water. I mean, that's as quiet as it gets. I mean, who's ever heard the dew make a sound, right? I mean, it doesn't have, well, there's some quiet water there. And then another commentator said that, well, the quiet waters, they're, they're the cisterns, they're, they're the, the deep holes that, that are spring fed and the, and the water is cool and plentiful and life giving, right? And you're like, all right, so which one is it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know which one. Like I, I hear all three of those and I say, that makes a lot of sense. But at the end of the day, what is being talked about here is the shepherd taking care of the sheep's thirst. Have you ever been ridiculously thirsty? I Googled, um, what is the term for like, uh, like thirst, like extreme thirst? And it came back, it said it's called excessive thirst. And I'm like, that's not what I was looking for. Like there, there should be a better term for it than that, right? But but there wasn't. It was just called excessive thirst. And so I told you guys last week, I play this sport called disc golf. And uh, in early July, I signed up for a tournament in Daytona, right? So put that in your head right there. I signed up for a tournament, four rounds in July in Daytona. Bad idea, right? It was hot. We usually, we usually have our bags or our carts and we walk around and it's two or three miles to make your way through a course. We played on a golf course. I played, over, I played four rounds over two days and averaged 14 miles of walk. Look at me. Do I look like I walk 14 miles a day? I don't. I don't do that. 14 miles a day in a 107 degree heat index. It was unbelievable. It was stupid. I'm never playing that tournament again. But I got so thirsty. I'm carrying 80 ounces of water with me, right? I've got all these water bottles and I, man, and at one point, like, I'm like, I know I've gone through one. I know I've gone through the second and I get to the third. And I, I have you ever been there? You take that last sip and it's like, ah, oh, I just took the last sip. And then I begin, I think it got worse because I knew I was out of water, you know? And so I'm, I'm starting to look around for plan B. I'm like plan B. That guy's not looking. He's got extra water in his bag, right? Like, I'll just take some of his water. I knew I couldn't do that. I can't steal. I'm a pastor. <laughs> but then one of the courses that I was playing is called Water's Edge. Think about that. A lot of water, right? And honest to goodness, I begin to look at this water. I'm like, it's pretty clear. I'm like, I can see the bottom. There can't be that much bad stuff in it, right? Like, you, you know you're thirsty when you begin looking at, like, bad water and thinking that it may be good enough, right? Keller says this. He says, when sheep are thirsty, they become restless, and they set out in search of water to satisfy their thirst. And if not led to the good water, clean, pure water, they will often end up drinking from the polluted potholes where they pick up internal parasites and nematodes, liver flukes, and other disease germs. 
And he, he goes on a little bit more. He's a little more graphic. He said, sometimes sheep, when they become so thirsty, they, they will drink from water sources that, that other sheep have laid in and, and even have feces in. And so what he's saying is that sheep will begin to settle for the second best. Sheep will begin to settle for a substitute. And eventually sheep will begin to settle to drink from just filth. And this is the question that I would have of each of us. And I'm not asking you any questions that I haven't asked of myself and unfortunately had to look back over my life and say, yeah, I have to answer with a yes, but are we settling for second best? Do we, do we sometimes settle for a substitute? Have we become so used to drinking from polluted wells? Not, we're not talking water anymore, okay? Have we become so accustomed to drinking from polluted wells that we don't even realize the sickness that lives within us? Have our souls become so accustomed or acclimated to what we're drinking, what we're taking in, what is feeding us, what is leading us, what is guiding us, what is nourishing our souls, that we are oblivious to our own sickness? And this is what happens in countries all over the world with real water, right? Where they don't have the, the purification systems. They don't have the water treatment plants. People's bodies begin to uh, acclimate to the, the bad water. And so you have these people that are walking around and they, they look perfectly healthy on the outside, but inside it's just a mess. There, there's parasites and there's, there's sickness and there's stuff that you can't see, but their bodies become acclimated to it. It's become the status quo. It's what they're used to. And I wonder if we're honest, if some of us would say, I've been, I've been drinking from the potholes. I've been drinking from the potholes when I could be drinking from the well, <laughs> the living water, the good shepherd. And so <laughs> he leads me beside quiet waters my question is this, are, are we drinking from the deep, pure pools that, that bring life and refreshment and, and wholeness? Or have we begun to settle for something less? David, who wrote this psalm, he says, he restores my soul. Uh, many of us are familiar with the term to be uh, downcast or cast down, right? Like, oh, so-and-so is downcast. Uh, we may say today they're, they're bummed out. They're going through a, a difficult time or a difficult season. This, this term of downcast refers to a cast sheep, and this is what that is. It's a heavy or a long fleeced sheep who lies down in a little hollow or a depression in the ground. And what happens is the sheep will kind of roll over on its side to relax a little bit. But the, the center of gravity, because of the thick coat, uh, causes the body to shift so that the sheep ends up turned up on its back far enough that its feet no longer touch the ground. So are you with me? We've got a sheep that has lied down in a little depression in the ground. They've rolled over to the point where their feet are no longer touching the ground, and then they end up completely on their back. And these sheep are like turtles. They cannot right themselves. No matter what they do, they begin to paw at the air, and it only makes things worse. The shepherd says, as it lies there struggling, gases begin to build up in the rumen. When these expand, they tend to slow and cut off the blood circulation to the extremities of the body, especially the legs. 
He said, if it's hot and sunny, a cast sheep, a cast down sheep can die in as little as a few hours. If it's overcast and cool, a sheep can lie there for up to three or four days. They cannot rescue themselves. To be restored to an upright whole position, it requires the shepherd to find them where they are and do the work that they cannot do for themselves. Have you been there? (laughs) Have you been there? You're just cruising your way through life. Everything is fine. Everything is good. You lie down. There's a little depression. Boom, before you know it, it is all broken loose in your life. And you are vulnerable and you're stuck and you can't seem to do anything to get yourself out of that position. Whew, I've been there. I told the eight o'clock service, it's been a tough week in my house. A tough week. We've come to know that some friends were drinking from a polluted pool, drinking from a well that was not God's best for them. And there are deep, deep reaching effects from that. And so we're just kind of cruising along through life. And all of a sudden we kind of find ourselves cast down, cast down, like stuck, not, not able to do anything, to, to help in any way, just, just kind of stuck and vulnerable and, and panicked and, and frustrated. Symbolically, just with our legs up in the air, nowhere to go, nothing that we can do for ourselves. And this passage has just absolutely come to life this week. And so I would wonder, do you find yourself thirsty? for something that you're tempted to drink that that you know is not God's best for you. Or maybe you move beyond the temptation and you're actually drinking from the substitute. Are you downcast? Are you stuck at some point in life, unable to unstick yourself from your stuckness? As I was just praying over this passage, I began to, to hear the words of Jesus the one who says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my, my sheep know me. In Matthew 11, he says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I thought, my goodness. <laughs> I wasn't looking this up to, to have something to say at the, the end of the sermon, Right? It was like God was speaking straight to me. Yeah, you, you need peace. You, you need to be able to rest. I am that for you. He also said to the, the woman at the well, everyone who drinks of, of this well water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Man, And I began to hear him say to me, just stay here. Uh, Stick with me. I I, I am with you in the middle of this. I I can take you and set you right back up. I can take you and your friends who have been drinking. I can set them right back up. Not that there won't be consequences, but I can restore and bring wholeness to you, to them, to everyone that is impacted. 
And so as we close our time together this morning uh, around uh, a common table, this is a table that's open to all who declare that the Lord is their shepherd. It's open to those of you that are stressed and restless. It's, it's open to those of us who are, who are so thirsty that the polluted potholes are beginning to look good. It's open to those of us who are so cast down, that, that are so weary and heavy laden, that we can do nothing to help ourselves. We can gather at this table, a meal that we are invited to share together, that equalizes wherever we find ourselves. I'm going to say a word of prayer and, and Pastor Rick is going to come and he's going to help distribute the elements and those who are helping are going to come. But this morning, it's, it's, it's pretty neat. All of our front rows are, are empty. If you need time to pray during this, more, more than just like the normal, whatever you do, Man, we, we have space. Our front rows are open. The altars are open for, for God to meet you where you are. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we need you. God, if we're honest, we would say we need you to make us lie down. We need you to remove from us uh, these fears that we have. We need you and your presence to make the difference in our lives. God, we need you to satisfy our thirst because if we're honest, God, we're just dumb sheep. And we get so, so bent on our ways, God, that, that we're willing to settle for second best. We're, we're willing to settle for imposters. We're willing to settle for whatever we can find that we think will, will satisfy what is in us. And God, we need you to be our living water. God, for those of us that are cast down, that are struggling, that, that whether it's something minor or whether it's a, a depression that isn't going to be solved with more faith or, or more prayer or, or anything like that, but just you coming in and coming alongside the work that we're already doing to overcome this in our life. God, we realize that, that we struggle, <laughs> that depression is real. And God, that, that you can come along and, and right us, restore us. Not that we won't ever struggle again, but you continue to come alongside and, and right us and restore us and bring healing and wholeness to our lives. And Father, be with us as we gather around this table. For those of us that have done this hundreds of times, for those of us that aren't quite convinced that we're worthy to eat a meal like this, God, would you satisfy us in a way that only you can? We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.